Father, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks that uh, you speak to us through your word. We ask, Father, as we open up uh, the Bible this morning and as Duncan preaches to us that your spirit will be with us, that your spirit will be here in this service, and that, Father, we will hear the word that you have for us, Father. Thank you that you teach us, uh, that you encourage us, and that you love us, and we give thanks for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jane's going to bring the readings to us this morning. The first Bible reading today is from Job, um, all of chapter 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all of the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the, the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am, only one, I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep, and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's, oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robes and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this... Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. 
And the second Bible reading is from James, chapter 5, verse 7 to 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Thanks, Jane. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Great to see you uh, this week. We were able to meet this week, so praise God for that. Um, another quick announcement from me. It's the season of things being cancelled. You might have heard that there is a there was planned a combined church's family fun evening uh, next Sunday night. That has also been cancelled, unfortunately, in the light of everything going on with COVID. Uh, so just uh, make sure that you are aware of that if you're planning to go to that. Uh, let me pray for us as we, as we get started. Uh, God, we come today to consider and to hear from your word about a really deep, a pressing, a personal issue for each of us. Uh, God, we pray, please, by your spirit that you might teach us from your word, that you might open our eyes to see more of your glory, more of your grace, more of how we can suffer well in this world. Please fix our hearts on you, our God and Saviour, and on the glory that is to be revealed. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago when we started this um, sermon series, I showed you this cartoon. I think it captures something really profound about our experience at the moment, uh, of the uncertainty as we head into this year, into 2022. Uh, I don't know, if, have you had the same experience? I keep finding myself saying, oh, look, I'm really hoping that this year I'm... Uh, <laughs> that I kind of stop myself before I finish that sentence because I've learned uh, it's probably not wise to be saying that kind of thing. Uh, it's such an uncertain time, right? But despite all the uncertainty, I reckon there's one thing that I can pretty much guarantee all of us will experience at some point in some measure this year. Probably this week, probably this day. So I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I can pretty much, I reckon, guarantee you this. Every one of us, in some way, in 2022, will suffer, will experience suffering. It's in some measure, in some way. Some of us will lose loved ones this year. Some of us will get very sick some of us will even face our own death. Some of us will continue in chronic pain or mental anguish. Some of us will be hurt by others. Some of us will be hurt by our own mistakes and sins. So, I'm not confident of much this year, but here's a confident expectation, a nice chirpy thing to start the sermon off with. In some way, at some level, you and I will suffer this year. Our author Christopher Ashe talks about how there are two ways of talking about this issue of suffering, especially talking about how we respond to as Christians. 
Uh, he says there's ways we can ask these questions as armchair questions or as wheelchair questions. Armchair questions. The armchair question is kind of the detached philosophical debate. Maybe you've had that kind of experience. One of my favourite depictions of this is from the Peanuts gang, uh, where the, the Peanuts uh, group are getting slaughtered in baseball and it leads to this intense debate amongst the gang. I don't know if you can see it there. Uh, you might be able to read the words. If not, I'll tell you what it says. Charlie Brown says, Why do we have to suffer like this? They're getting beaten at baseball. That's his suffering. And then Schroeder chirps up with uh, uh, the wise Schroeder, wiser than beyond his years, he says, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And Charlie says, what? Then Linus comes in and says, he's quoting from the book of Job, Charlie Brown, seventh verse, fifth chapter. Linus goes on, actually, the problem of suffering is a very profound one. And... And then, of course, Lucy barrels in. If you know anything about Lucy, this is right on theme for her. She barrels in and says, if a person has bad luck, it's because they've done something wrong. That's what I always say. And Schroeder replies, well, that's what Job's friends told him, but I doubt if... And Lucy changes the subject. What about Job's wife? I don't think she gets enough credit. Then everyone gets going. Schroeder says, I think a person who never suffers never matures. Suffering is actually very important. Lucy says, who wants to suffer? Don't be ridiculous. But pain is a part of life. And in the end, Charlie Brown says in the last frame there, in exasperation, I don't have a ball team. I have a theological seminary. <laughs> Maybe you've had conversations like that. Um, sort of armchair conversations about suffering. And don't get me wrong, there are, there are important things to talk through. There are important things to talk through when it comes to suffering, the existence of God, all those things. But the trouble with our armchair discussions, when we saw this last time in the first week of our series, the trouble is, is that true and ultimate wisdom in the face of suffering is actually beyond us. No matter how many hours we spend pondering and debating the deep questions, we will never on our own, never find real true wisdom Deep spiritual wisdom, as we saw last time, is about knowing and living in line with the grain of the universe. And it's something we just can't think our way up to. It has to be revealed to us from outside ourselves. It's a gift that has to be received from God and from God alone. Well, uh, last time we looked, when we looked at Job chapter 28, we finished up with this great unveiling of what wisdom truly is. This wisdom isn't about knowing all the answers. This wisdom is about knowing the one who alone has all the answers. Wisdom, real wisdom, is fundamentally about relationship. It's relational. To fear the Lord to live in awe-filled worship of him. That is wisdom. To turn from evil, to have as the constant habit of your life, repenting from your sin and turning to God in trusting obedience. That is wisdom. That is understanding. It's a very different way of thinking about wisdom. It means if you're going to be truly wise this year, you don't need to know the path forward. You just need to know the one who is leading you there. You just need to know the one who is leading you there. And that's the kind of thing that can be easy to say when things are going well. It's the kind of thing that can be really easy to say if all's going well. 
It's another thing entirely, though, to, to say that when the path you're on seems like a dark and a dangerous one, a path of suffering and pain. Well, that's what we're going to explore today in this ancient book of Job. Um, you see, Job isn't asking armchair questions. He's asking wheelchair questions. He's not having an abstract theological debate about suffering and God. He's asking agonised questions that spring from very real and very deep pain. Uh, it's a long book, and we need a whole series on it at itself, which, God willing, we will get to uh, and one day, but not today. Uh, we're just going to get a taste for it, an overview for Job today. Now, it, the purpose of Job, it, its purpose is not to neatly kind of satisfy and tie up all our loose ends. It's not to satisfy all our armchair ch- questions. Uh, the purpose of it is it, it gives us, it doesn't satisfy all those questions, but it does give us deep and transforming wisdom for those who are in the wheelchair, for those who are in the middle of suffering. So let's dive in. Uh, The text will come up on the screen. If you've got Bibles open in front of you, that will help too. Uh, The first thing we find when you open the book of Job is that Job himself is already a wise man. He's a wise man. Verse 1, in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. If you're here a couple of weeks ago when we looked at chapter 28, that should ring bells for you. It's the same language that was used there. Job is wise. He's already wise at the start of this book. Um, And you read on, and his life seems like this beautiful picture of flourishing and prosperity. He has this large family. He's he's incredibly wealthy. Uh, He's well regarded. Verse 3, we read, he was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. So he's wise, he's wealthy. Not only that, he leads, he leads his family in wisdom. Uh, we're used to, if you watch any of the kind of um, reality shows, you're used to kind of the fabulously wealthy having really dysfunctional families, right? But not here, not here. Verse 4 and 5, we read, it was his custom that uh, whenever his kids threw a party, he would offer, um, he would offer burnt offerings for each of them just, just on the off chance in case they had sinned in their celebrations, get this picture of a man whose deepest concern was for his children's spiritual welfare, that they know and experience God's forgiveness. So Job is someone who lives in true and spiritual wisdom. So that's the kind of opening scene. But then in verse 6, everything shifts suddenly. We get transported from Job in his idyllic life up into the heavenly places, We're suddenly taken away into the heavenly throne room of God. And uh, these angels turn up. It's like they're reporting for duty before God. Uh, But next to them, along with them, comes this figure called Satan. Um, The word Satan means something like the adversary or the accuser. Here is a spiritual being who is opposed to God, who is God's enemy. And he, he brings this really serious accusation before God. Uh, Verse 7, Satan's been roaming across the earth, presumably looking for people to accuse. And God singles out Job. He points down and singles Job out. Verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So God says to this to Satan, this accuser, he says, What do you make of Job? And Satan's reply is really important. It's a really key moment, and this is a key verse for actually the whole book of Job. Verse 9, Satan replies, Does Job fear God for nothing? Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Does Job fear God for nothing? So you see what Satan's saying here? In other words, sure, okay, Job fears you, God, yep. But that's just because you've made his life really cushy. He doesn't love you for you. He just loves you for the stuff he gets from you. Take the stuff away and he'll give you up in a heartbeat. So this, this question, does Job fear God for nothing, just for who God is? That question really drives the whole book of Job. Is it possible to have a relationship with God simply for who he is and not for any of the secondary blessings that he might give to his people. So you see Job's getting tested here. This is a test set up for Job. But actually more fundamentally, it's a test to God himself, right? Um, If you know the story of God's redemption in the Bible so far, you'll know this is a major thing. God's purpose... Uh, with his people, has, has been to re-establish a real, genuine relationship between himself and humanity. Uh, the relationship that was broken by the fall, by our rejection of him. So Job asks the question, is that kind of a relationship with God really possible? Satan's accusation is that it's not. It's not possible. You take away Job's blessings and he will curse you to your face. And so in verse 12, God gives this, it's a really shocking permission that he gives, isn't it? Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Well, before we move on, (laughs) you notice throughout all that scene you do notice God's absolute sovereignty in all of this. Um, the evil that was going to come upon Job, it, it didn't originate in God's heart. It wasn't his good original intention. But neither was it some random chaotic thing outside of God's control. Or it wasn't some spiritual attack that was in some way equal to God's power. God is not the author of evil. But he is sovereign over it. Satan did nothing without the Lord's permission. This can be a pretty hard idea, concept to get our heads around, get our hearts around. The sovereignty of God over all things, even over suffering. Here's what the 39 Articles of Anglicanism says about this idea. This truth of God's sovereignty, though, is, here's how it puts it is full of sweet 
pleasant and unspeakable comfort. Because, and, and can you see why that might be? Because it meant that Job's, uh, Job, Job's suffering was never simply in the hands of Satan. Job was never simply in Satan's hands alone. He was always under the overruling hand of God. And that makes all the difference. For all its difficulties, it does make all the difference. Because while Job can't always see that himself, those hands that are sovereign are also good. They are hands he can trust. Okay, back to the story. Uh, what we get now is this kind of unraveling of these terrible tragedies that hit Job one after the other. They're like these dominoes just, just fall one, all, uh, all in an instance. Uh, Job gets this series of messengers bringing him unthinkable news. Verse 15, his oxen and donkeys are captured by raiders and his servants looking after them are killed. Uh, then in verse 16, while he was still speaking, another messenger came straight away. This time his flocks of sheep and those tending them are destroyed by fire from the heavens. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another messenger came. Uh, this time it's his camels that get taken away. <laughs> in, in one moment, he has lost everything he owns. All of the workers that are under his care have been wiped out. It's just this unthinkable loss, right? And then it just gets worse. The greatest tragedy in this series comes at, at the end in verse 18. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. And they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. It's a total reversal of the start of this chapter, right? That scene of flourishing is now a scene of devastation, of loss, of despair, of tragedy. It's extreme. And what's more, nothing Job has done has caused this. Nothing Job has done Job did nothing to cause this. Uh, there is in the Bible a category of suffering that comes as the consequence of our own sin or our own mistakes. That, that, that's reality. There is a, a type of suffering like that. But that's not what's on view here. There's nothing Job did to cause this. And friends, it's, it's really important that we have this category of suffering in our in our heads, in our hearts. Uh, our instinct so often is to assume that suffering comes because of something that the sufferer has done. We're so often like Lucy, right, in the cartoon at the start. In fact, most, a lot of the book of Job is taken up kind of exploring this, this theme. Uh, Job's sufferings actually only increase from here. They get worse and worse. The next chapter... Uh, everything has happened to um, his livelihood and his family. The next chapter, in chapter 2, um, suffering afflicts his body. Um, and he experiences incredible, incredible suffering in his own body and his health. And then three of his mates turn up and sit with him. And they do pretty well for a little while until they open their mouths. <laughs> and then everything goes downhill. And these guys, as they're interacting with Job and talking to him, 
They just can't shake the assumption that something Job did must have been behind what's happened. They just can't shake that. Job must have done something to cause this, and they go back and forth on this theme, trying to dig up something to explain Job's suffering. But they, they actually make Job's suffering far worse. You get the, the pictures you read through Job, that Job's suffering actually gets increases as he interacts with his friends. Um, uh, there's a, a theologian called Todd Billings, who was diagnosed in 2012 with incurable cancer, and he tells the story of a well-intentioned Christian person saying to him, uh, telling him that his cancer had already been healed in Christ because by his wounds we have been healed. So all he needed to do was pray in faith and embrace that his cancer would be healed and it would be. Uh, friends, that is not only bad Bible reading and terrible theology, it's devastating pastorally. It adds suffering to suffering um, Billings talks about the underlying message of that theology and he talks from, uh, really um, movingly about uh, him as a father of young children and what that was in effect saying was that he was taking away his kid's dad because of his own lack of faith. What a terrible and crushing weight to put on someone. But friends, so much suffering... So much of our suffering doesn't and will not fit that kind of neat cause and effect scheme. If we're going to live wisely in the face of our own and others' sufferings, we need to have this category of unexplained suffering. Suffering that's not caused by some lack or fault within us or someone else. Suffering that is simply part and parcel of living in a fallen world where the adversary remains active, a world that is nevertheless still under the sovereign hand of God. Okay, that's a little sort of sidebar there, but let's get back to the story of Job. Uh, do you notice how he responds to his suffering? How does Job respond in verse 20? At this Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Uh, that was how you expressed grief in this culture. Uh, Job, Job grieves. He grieves deeply and visibly, publicly. This is really helpful for us, I think. Uh, so different to many other views of what it looks like to be wise in suffering. So if you are familiar with more Eastern religions, perhaps you might think of suffering as kind of an illusion. Something uh, And wisdom in a world of suffering means detaching yourself from the world and from uh, those kind of relationships that can cause suffering. Or maybe in our culture, we're more tempted to respond by sh to suffering by just kind of shrugging it off, um, saying, you know, kind of putting on a tough face or maybe putting on a happy face and sort of pretending everything's okay. But Job doesn't just sort of shrug it off and man up. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't put a mask over it either. Job doesn't avoid the pain of what has happened. He faces it and he feels it. He loved his kids. And in one sudden tragedy, they are taken from him and he grieves. This wise man grieves. But at the same time, he also, in his grief, worships. 
he worships. Verse 20, Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. See what Job's saying there? The Lord gave. Job sees everything he has as an undeserved gift from God, not an entitlement that he, he has that he can cling on to. His friends can't say that. Uh, his friends, you get the impression that they think that what, what, they, what they have is their right, their reward for living a good life. And therefore, if it's taken away, it must be a sign of punishment. But not Job, at least not here. Uh, he lives, he, he confesses the grace of God and not himself, his own works. And in his worship, do you notice this at the end of this chapter? In his worship through his grief, he proves the accuser wrong. He proves the accuser wrong in this persevering worship. And this is all unknown to him, right? He doesn't know what's going on in the heavenly realms. But in his persevering worship, he participates in God's defeat of Satan. As Job's sufferings increase, he never curses God. He comes so close. As you read through it, he gets angry. He questions and doubts. He cries out in his confusion and his pain. He even curses himself. He curses the day he was born. He goes right up to the line, but he doesn't curse God. And the, the big difference between Job and his friends through the next chapters is they, they talk a lot about God, his friends, but Job keeps talking to God. Job keeps coming to God. He comes to him without pretense. He comes to him honestly, expressing what he's feeling. But the key thing is that he keeps coming to God. He doesn't give up on God. And eventually, God in his grace responds to Job. Now, that's what you get uh, towards the end of this book, the last chapters are taken up with God's response. Incredible chapters. And at, at first it can seem a little bit harsh, as you read it. Uh, it should be on the screen, chapter 38, verse 1. This is uh, after all this toing and froing and Job's agony. And uh, the Lord speaks to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this who obscures my plans without word, with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. <laughs> Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? It's an incredible thing that God says to Job. And what's really interesting is, as you read on, God never explains Job's sufferings. He doesn't fill Job in with what happened at the, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 in the heavenly places. What he does do is he changes the subject. 
Uh, one of the things about suffering is it can reduce your vision. Your world becomes taken up with, and understandably and naturally taken up with the immediate pain. It gets taken up with waiting rooms and hospital beds and everything else. What God does for Job in these last chapters is to graciously, but also firmly, lift his eyes to see that there is something much bigger than him. God gives him in these chapters, it's like this incredible tour of the universe. Uh, He shows Job how awesome it is. And not only how awesome the universe is, but by implication how awesome he is, how awesome God is, the one who rules the universe. He rules it in ways that Job just cannot imagine or comprehend. God takes into account complexities and events that are completely beyond Job, completely beyond you and me. So this is a humbling thing that God does for Job. But that humbling of Job is actually an act of wonderful grace and compassion. He doesn't give Job a solution to why what's going on is going on. He doesn't give Job a solution to the abstract problem of suffering and evil. He doesn't give Job all the answers. He he gives something much better. He gives himself. He gives himself. He leads Job to a deeper and truer knowledge of himself and therefore into a deeper and surer trust. There's so much in Job and it's just really skating over the, the top. But what, what, Friends, what do we make of this as people who live this side of Jesus Uh, This incredible model of persevering worship through intense and undeserved suffering. Uh, Job's suffering, I think, casts us forward to Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus faces even a far worse suffering even than Job's. He took on the cup of the wrath of God against the sin of the world. And as he cries out in agony... And yet in trust of his father, yet not my will but yours be done. Uh, Jesus' suffering on the cross, though, it's not just a model for us. It's a gateway which by faith, through which by faith we can be united to him. We can share in his great and ultimate victory over Satan. Friends, Jesus' suffering for us can be a a bright can give us a bright and sure hope for the future. As you get to the end of Job, God does restore him. He does restore, he blesses him even more than at the start. But we know at this point, we know when we get to the end, it's not a reward for Job's obedience. Sometimes it's been read that way. It's not, it cannot be what it is. It's not a reward for Job's obedience any more than his sufferings were a punishment for his disobedience. His, his restoration at the end is simply a gift of the Lord's sovereign grace. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are not promised a similar restoration in this life. Nowhere are we promised that. It may be that your trial lasts all your days on this earth. 
But friends, I want to leave you with wonderful news that those who, through Christ, persevere in worship are promised something much better, much more joyful, much more lasting. Um, perseverance in our world, in our world of consumerism and kind of instant gratification, perseverance is not a virtue many of us are very practised at, I think. When something gets hard or stops working, it's easy for us to quickly move on to the next product or seek the next thing. Uh, but I wonder if you picked up this from the second reading that Jane read out to us, from the New Testament book of James, how it talks about the blessing of perseverance. James, let's, I'll read it for us from the whole thing that Jane read out from verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count those as blessed who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Friends, in Christ you have a sure guarantee that whatever suffering you experience here and now, even though it might last your life here and now, is in fact temporary. Is in fact temporary. That the Lord who is full of compassion and mercy will bless your perseverance when he returns to judge Satan and all that is evil once and for all and to make everything wonderfully and eternally and beautifully new. Friends, I want to leave us with this thought, really. Uh, Lifting our eyes to see that glory, that glory, that goodness that is ours in Christ, lifting our eyes in persevering and trusting worship in the fellowship of God's people, not knowing all the answers, but coming to and bowing before the one who has all the answers. That is real wisdom in in your suffering. That is real wisdom in your suffering, friends. Let's pray that the Lord will... Work that among us. Let's pray. Lord, we lift our eyes to see your glory and your goodness. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, any who are 
themselves now going through a Job-like ordeal. Sustain them, Father. May you lead them into a deeper and surer knowledge of yourself. Give them the gift of perseverance in coming to you, our God and King, in worship and praise. Fill our vision, we pray, with the certain hope that the gospel gives us of a world free of pain, free of suffering, a world where we will be in perfect union with you and with one another for all eternity. Lord, help us to cast our hearts and our minds on that day and I pray that that will even, even now, even through suffering, that that future hope might spill over into the present and that we might be able to experience something of your grace and joy and peace here and now. Please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue in prayer. Uh, brothers and sisters, I'm just going to lead us now in a, in a time of prayer. Please join with me in your minds and hearts. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer now, it's so helpful to be reminded of who you are as God. And the New City Catechism in question two, which some of us have been learning this week, reminds us that you are the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, that you are eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in your power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. And nothing happens except through you and by your will. And Father, as we've seen uh, so clearly this morning, we've seen this too in, from your word uh, in Job. Uh, thank you uh, that even in our suffering, uh, in all, uh, even our suffering in all its variety and, every, and severity is fully under your sovereign control and your fatherly love for those of us who are trusting in your Son, our Lord Jesus. Please help us to know this truth deeply and to rest in it, uh, to rest in you, uh, even in the midst of our trials and hardships, whether we understand the reasons for them or not. Help us to live, both as individuals and as a church, increasingly shaped by the wisdom of your word in all its fullness. We pray, Father, for those in our church family who are suffering with various uh, crises, health or otherwise, uh, and with other significant struggles and trials. Please be their strength and hope and wisdom. We pray for the CMS, uh, the Church Missionary Society, uh, for their gospel workers around the globe as they uh, take the message of hope and peace and truth uh, to the world, uh, the gospel. Uh, we pray for the Roe family in South Africa as they begin a new year of ministry and schooling. Uh, we pray for the Davis family in Tanzania as they continue ministry with the TAFES uh, uh, student um, group. And especially uh, we pray for the ongoing water shortages in that country. Uh, please provide all of their needs as a family. And we pray too for Francis Cook taking a break from serving in Chile 
And we pray that she'll be refreshed and encouraged as she visits supporting churches here in Australia, uh, including our church here later in March. We pray for all the churches here in Australia and in our own community that you will strengthen them uh, to focus faithfully on your word and on gospel ministry. We pray for all the Trinity Network uh, churches and especially today for the churches at Brighton, Golden Grove and Unley. Please grant wisdom to the leadership teams and staff teams uh, and to all the members of those churches. Please unite them deeply in the gospel, grow them into mature believers and equip them to continue to make Jesus known to the people in those communities. And for us here at, uh, on the South Coast, we pray that you would give us the burden for the thousands in this region who don't know your saving love for them in Jesus. Please help us to be enthused and inspired for mission to our region, uh, even through our mission focus in home groups this term with Hope Explored. Uh, give us confidence to invite our friends, neighbours and colleagues along to our Hope Explored courses this year. And please bring some or many to trust in Jesus for the first time and to know the wonderful and sure hope that we have in him. Can you please all join me in praying the Lord's Prayer as we close? The words will be on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. That brings us to uh, the end of our service this morning. I thank you all again for, for coming. Uh, we appreciate that you've, you've gotten out of bed and, and come along with us, and especially to visitors. Uh, thank you for coming this morning. We uh, encourage you to stay around afterwards and, uh, and for us to get to know you. Uh, tea and coffee, a reminder we need to be sitting down, uh, down the back there for that. Um, a reminder also that there's a cash box if you'd like to give offering. If you're not giving it online, you can give your offering in person in the box down the back. And with that, uh, don't forget your contact list if you need to fill that out, and also um, the, the little tear-off slip there, fill that out, um, especially if you're going through suffering. And, but we, as we heard this morning, we, we have a different view on suffering, don't we? And, and as we think about that different view this morning, let's um, sing It Is Well With 